Hello, and welcome to Hop On Board, brought to you by Southeastern Railway. In each episode, you'll be taken on a whistle-stop tour of some of the best places to explore on the Southeastern Network, guiding you through everything these stunning regions have to offer, from delicious food and drink and beautiful countryside walks to vibrant art scenes and fascinating history. And that's where I hop on board. Join me, Rav Wilding, for our different kind of day out around Kent, taking in some of the more unusual and unexplained in Queenborough, Pluckley and Dover. Everyone loves a bit of a tall tale and Kent's a great place for it. So whether you're looking to learn more about folklore, get spooked by a ghost story, or maybe dig a bit deeper into some alternative history, the county has got it all. And the best thing is, it's all so convenient to get to by train. Take Margate, for example. Just 20 minutes from the station is what's known as the Shell Grotto. It's a magnificent underground passageway. And almost all of its interior are totally covered in shells. In fact, it's estimated that there's 4.6 million of them, which make a huge mosaic. Pretty spectacular, to say the least. The grotto was discovered by the New Love family in 1835, first by the children when they were playing and later, more officially, by their father, Joshua. Now, to this day, nobody really knows why or how the grotto was created and some of the shells come from very far afield, with some even coming from the Caribbean. To add to the mysterious undertones, as you enter what's called the altar room, you'll spot a picture of a group of women conducting a seance that was held there in 1939. It's a grade one listed building and it's definitely worth a visit to try and figure it all out, perhaps for yourself. And do check out other episodes of Hop On Board because you'll hear Ed Byrne and Miranda Sawyer because they visit Margate and you'll hear about the great things to see in this seaside town. Today though, I'm starting out in Queenborough, a small town on the Isle of Sheppey, just a few miles from where I was brought up and a little over an hour on the train from London. This is a beautiful historic town, but it also happens to be the site of two of the UK's most famous UFO sightings. The Isle of Sheppey's a little off the beaten track for tourists, but there's still some nice things to do whilst you're visiting the UFO sites around here. Now, if beaches are your thing, there's three rated blue flag. That means they're particularly clean, clear and sustainable. And if you're lucky, you might even see one of the estimated 1,000 seals that live in the area. There's also the Elmley Nature Reserve. That's a beautiful family farm boasting 3,300 acres of spectacular landscape. You're even able to stay overnight here in custom-made sheds, huts or an 18th century farmhouse. In nearby Queenborough, where I am today, just a few miles away, there's a lovely harbour with a weekly Saturday market and a great selection of pubs and calves, such as the Bosun's Tea Room, which I'm stood outside right now. Now, it's just a 10-minute walk from Queenborough Station and even closer to the spot on the coast where you'd have been able to see the Sheerness UFO incident of 1912 and the 1967 British flying saucer hoax. I'm meeting Neil Nixon, author of the book UFOs, Aliens and the Battle for the Truth 
to learn more. So, Neil, just introduce yourself and your area of expertise. So, uh, my name's Neil Nixon. I live in Kent and I have lived in Kent since 1988. And uh, as of today, my area of expertise is ufology and uh, general paranormal mysteries. Ooh, and you've written a book about this as well. I've written three books about it and quite a bit of other stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I wrote a book quite recently called UFOs, Aliens and the Battle for the Truth. Okay, so talk me through this area where we're stood right now on the Isle of Sheppey. How is this known for UFOs? So the Isle of Sheppey, where we stood today, and let, let's be clear about this, it's a gorgeous morning, i.e. it's very misty, it's very mysterious, so it, it's got a paranormal air about it. Uh, there are one or two UFO mysteries associated with the place, particularly two, actually. Yeah. Probably the most famous one is the so-called Sheerness incident, and this happened in October 1912. About 6.30 at night, an aircraft engine was heard, and it was heard over Sheerness docks, and it was heard very near to where we're standing. Uh, so quite a few people were aware of it, including a Royal Navy lieutenant who claimed to have seen a red light. Aircraft operations at that time were very unusual, and so it was a UFO sighting. It actually made the, uh, the national press. And it's never been explained to this day. They put flares out for a plane to land. Nobody ever landed. There is um, quite a plausible explanation, but uh, it's never been uh, unearthed in government documents that Winston Churchill, amongst others, was behind it. Really? Yes. he wasn't Prime Minister back then, was he? But he was still a person of great importance. Yes, he, he was in the ministries. And more to the point, he was involved in arming the country. And if, if you read some of the popular fiction around the time, there was clear worry at, at that particular period about the Germans invading the country. So one possibility, and this would be in a great UFO tradition, is that you have a UFO sighting, you have a, a sighting that scares people, and the purpose behind it is to push forward the technology and the clamour for uh, better aircraft for your own side. The Americans have done this kind of thing in the past, and it is entirely possible, because there's, it clear, something clearly happened, it's entirely possible that uh, Winston Churchill, the, the, the Navy were behind it, and they were... Basically, they were trying to get people scared about the Germans flying zeppelins over here so that the budget that we would use to arm ourselves could be increased. That is absolutely fascinating. So it could have been deliberately set up by one of the people being Winston Churchill in order to make sure our defences were in place. Now, Neil, I spent many years as a detective. and As a detective, you need to find answers. And there was a UFO sighting in 1967, which you can say categorically there are answers as to what exactly happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the great flying saucer hoax, 4th, 4th of September 1967, yeah. And again, one of the most widely publicised UFO events in Britain, but nobody claims it was extraterrestrial. Uh, a number of UFOs were discovered on the ground, small UFOs that were ticking. They looked like mini versions of classic flying sources from science fiction, <laughs> right? Uh, and they were spread across the UK. The easternmost was in Queenborough, very close to where we're standing. So at the end of Queenborough High Street, you can't quite see where it was. The actual land on which that, uh, that UFO touched the ground is now under houses, as I understand it. Um, but basically, this was the... Um, Royal Aircraft Establishment of Farnborough, the, uh, the, the technicians there. It was a rag-week hoax. But these were the best aircraft, trainee aircraft mechanics in the country, so they knew what they were doing. And yes, it made the national press, and to this day you can find photographs in, well, online, of people 
with stethoscopes listening to these things. Really? Yeah. So, they, so many people thought this was genuine, uh, some sort of alien invasion or something happening, but um, it was categorically a hoax. So one of the best-known UFO cases in British history from 1953 occurred very near Westmoreland Station. If you go there these days and you head towards the old airfield, which is now the Kings Hill Industrial Park, um, one of the most famous air-to-air -air sightings, which was involved an RAF fighter, a, a vampire fighter with a crew of two, a bright light came from distant in the sky to very close to them and then just disappeared very, very quickly. And that caused some ructions in the Ministry of Defence, so uh, nobody to this day knows what it was. Wow. I would not have a clue. Like a lot of people, you know, I'm... I'm fascinated. I want to go on believing. If um, you know, if, if they prove to be any alien events, I just think it would be amazing. As well as UFO sightings, there's other weird and wonderful things in and around Queenborough. Dead Man's Island lies just opposite. More than 200 years ago, the island was used as a burial ground for convicts who died aboard these huge hulks, the prison ships, during the Napoleonic Wars. Coastal erosion and a shift in tides means that recently, Wooden coffins, skulls and bones have started emerging from the mud that used to blanket the area. The BBC recorded a programme about it in 2017. The director described the island as like being on the set of a horror film. The island's totally out of bounds to the public, for obvious reasons, but there's plenty of other dark history stories to be found elsewhere. For instance, the southeast coast was a hotspot for smuggling in the 18th and 19th centuries. At the far eastern end of Sheppey, Warden Manor was once home to Sir John Sawbridge, a respected magistrate who dabbled in illicit goods in the late 18th century. When the smugglers' ships arrived, a homing pigeon was released. It flew to Warden Manor, alerting Sir John that his illegal goods had been unloaded into the sea and washed in by the tide to Barrowbrook Gap. He'd then head out at night to collect the stash. Right, I'm jumping back on the train now and heading to Pluckley to hear some stories that might have slightly less truth to them. I'm in Pluckley now, just over an hour's train journey from London. It's a beautiful countryside village. It's known for being the discovery site of the earliest surviving Shakespearean manuscript, the filming location for ITV drama The Darling Buds of May, and supposedly the most haunted village in Britain. Here to tell me more is Andy Ayres, the man behind Ghost Hunter Tours, an organisation that runs ghost tours throughout Kent. So Andy, lovely to meet you. Tell me about this, uh, this line of work you've found yourself in. Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, an interesting one and it's been a passion ever since I've been a kid, sort of ghosts and paranormal and anything, sort of conspiracy theories, supernatural, anything like that. But Pluckley is the most interesting place in the country. It's found itself in a Guinness Book of Records for being the most haunted place in the world in 1999. From the moment that you step off at Pluckley Station, you, you know, you're coming to Pluckley for probably just two reasons. It's either that you've heard that it's haunted and you want to have a look around and see what, the, what, what that's all about, or you're a fan of the Darling Buds of May. <laughs> um, but from the moment that you alight off of the train at the train station, it's really quite special because your, your, your senses are heightened you're coming to a train station that's one of the oldest in the country, 1840s build, when the, the railway was new. It's got the oldest still functioning railway, railway building. 
Well, Andy, I'd love to see or experience some of this tour. So I'll let you lead the way and, show, and talk me through what we're going to see. The first thing that you'll notice when you come straight out of this train station is that th this deer in arms is absolutely imposing. Um, you know, it, it looks imposing, it looks scary, um, it looks a little bit foreboding, I suppose, really, in a, in a way. Um, really, really interesting history on this place. Obviously, 1840s build, looks a lot older. Um, but they've got a fantastic sighting of a ghost in here. Have they? Yeah, they have. So, so what, tell me about the ghost. So what they have in here, um, this is a pub now, uh, restaurant, very, very nice restaurant, great food and everything like that. But seen regularly is the ghost of a 19th century woman just sitting in the bar. What? Now, people have seen that and they're, they're very certain that it's a real person. And of course, when they go to engage or perhaps go past, this lady just vanishes. But she's dressed in the attire from the time. Um, so that's what makes this really, really interesting. Wow. And sort of course, multiple you know, sightings of this over periods of periods of times. And the story of this lady never really changes. So there's got to be something in that, you know, because when you people talk about ghost stories, it's a little bit like Chinese whispers and everything like that. So you'll get, you know, if, you, if this lady starts off as a lady sitting in a bar, Suddenly, the next story you get this lady sitting in a bar without a head and everything yeah, like that. Yeah. So this lady has remained to stay constant all this time. So that's really kind of very, very that's interesting. Interesting, and it's just literally meters from the station that we're yeah. approaching yeah. the uh, the Daring Arms now, and that's where this this legendary ghost actually exists then. To be honest with you, for a day out, hour from London, you know, you come in here, fall almost straight into this place that's got a legend okay. of, of old. Lunch, a drink, then see the rest of the village. So Andy, describe where we are right now. Well, we are right bang centre in Deering Woods, or more commonly known as the Screaming Woods. So Andy, we're actually walking through the woodland right now, and I can imagine at night time, this would be a, a, a quite a, an unnerving experience, perhaps, because it would be so dark and creepy, but you would love that, of course, wouldn't you, on one of your tours? Yeah, it's right up my street, to be honest <laughs> with you, and it's right up the street of everyone that does one of these tours. You know, remember, they're, they're coming here for that reason. They've, they've heard the sizzle about this place. We bring equipment in here to see if there's anything that picks anything up, and we've certainly got some interesting stuff over time in here. That is interesting. So with your equipment and... Your expertise, you have picked up something in these woods. Yeah, absolutely. So we do something called uh, EVP, which is basically voice recording. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll come into an area where we know that something's happened, and then we'll, we'll ask questions. And we've, we've got our voice recorders recording. Um, so we'll ask the questions, and you don't really get anything back. The time that this comes to life is when you review this later on on headphones. So we've had um, an instance in here where we've asked a question, are you happy that you, we're here? And it's come back with, run. Wow, well on that note, Andy, should we move on with the tour? <laughs> now this is just a stunning part of the world, however you look at it, whether you're interested in the supernatural or not, but just meters from where we are, there's a very famous pub, the Black Horse Inn. Is that known for the supernatural as well? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a very, very famous pub uh, in the way of like hauntings. Um, lots and lots of history with with that for ghosts also a lot of history there around smuggling um like in its past like in a, a lot of villages in the roof of the uh, black horse there's a room called the secret room which is really really quite an interesting room so you go up as far as you can 
very, very tiny room. Lots of supernatural happenings in that room. Left with like little offerings to keep certain spirits happy. Um, and it's just kind of just left alone. Thanks to Andy for a taster of the supernatural today. The full-length tour around Pluckley is not for the faint-hearted, especially as when starting and ending at the train station, it's seven miles of walking. But if you're a fan of the unexplained and eerie, then it's most definitely worth it. Andy's tour has put us right outside the Black Horse restaurant. Now, a couple of years ago, it was known as Kent's most haunted pub. It's said to have had all sorts of spooky goings-on over the years. These days, though, it's under new ownership, Gemma and her partner Lee have taken over the Black Horse and re-established it as a fine dining venue. It's still a great place to end a ghost hunting tour with a bite to eat though. Gemma and Lee see the legends about it being haunted as an important part of the history and have experienced some strange coincidences since taking it on themselves. I'm going to meet them, hear more and hopefully grab a drink. So Gemma and Lee, nice to meet you both. Just describe how old this building is, just, just generally. Yeah, so it's, it's grade two listed. Um, the oldest parts we believe date back to the mid 15th century, but it's, it's had add-ons and bits and pieces over the years, obviously. So we think the Ingle Nook is probably the oldest part. It's one of the biggest Ingle Nooks in a pub in Kent. Um, and it, it's, um, it, I think the other fireplaces date from Tudor times and that sort of thing. So it's an old building. Uh, it was originally the house of the uh, bailiff for the Lords and the Manor back in the 15, 1600s. Right. It used to have a moat round it, which is long since gone. But uh, it's been through various uh, incarnations now. Well, you've done a fantastic job bringing it into the state it is now. There is a lot of history attached to the pub and you've probably heard a lot of stories that people may come here and ask you about involving the, the supernatural. Is that something you've heard whilst you've been working here, Lee? We, we, we get asked it all the time. I'm a complete sceptic. I'm okay, a total that's non-believer. Um, so it, it's probably more Gemma's thing. She's a bit more of a believer than I am. But okay. I I've, I can't really say I've seen anything untoward since but I've you, been But you've here. been asked about it. We get asked there. all the time and we we, um, we try and come up with stories. There's lots of um, stories from previous landlords and previous managers. So I, I can't discount it. But I, I'm one of these. I need to see it with my own two eyes before I can I can truly believe it. So, um, yeah. That's good. That's good. Good. Gemma. And I think Lee says these things just to keep me in check. So I absolutely think that this building, there's definitely something. It demands respect. The whole of Pluckley um, has just got a weird feeling. And Pluckley itself, it's a beautiful part of the southeast. Would you advise people to come down and have a look? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got the Kent Downs that we overlook. We've got beautiful village church. We've got the butcher just across the road where we use all his meat from there, don't we? Which he locally sources. So Gemma, working here, you must have had a few stories that people have given you about the supernatural. Anything that stand out to you? Absolutely. We've had previous owners. Actually, I had a previous chef. An ex-chef came in and he uh, came in for some lunch and he said that he's seen knives flown around. He's had... Uh, Previous landlords say that they've been pushed downstairs, right. like really quite negative things. So that's definitely one of the reasons why I got someone in to kind of do a cleanse because I wanted to protect ourselves from that. And actually, it was quite funny when we was doing the refurb, um, my nephew was here um, and he said, if there's anything here, can you show us a sign? And Lee, you was here at that when that happened. I was here, I think it was an electrical glitch. But, <laughs> oh, uh, what happened? It's, um, it, it, within five minutes of him saying it, all the uh, the up fire alarm went off, the burglar alarm went off, and when we checked, we got some security cameras upstairs as well, when we checked them back, the lights were flickering on and off 
and it's never happened since, and it hadn't happened before. But as wow. I say, I, I think it was a dodgy wine. Oh, Ollie! <laughs> You're trying your best, Lee, aren't you? You're really trying. The dogs were barking, my young niece was crying. It was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So we've just said to everybody now, like, just don't mess with it. Yeah. Just don't. And actually, we both say good morning and good night. This building 100% demands respect. Well, Gemma, Lee, thank you so much for sharing that and uh, showing me around your lovely pub. It's been a pleasure chatting to you both. No it's problem. been a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Speaking of ghostly stories, there's a good one about Leeds Castle. There's a legend that said there's two ghostly black retriever dogs and they appear and disappear to visitors. One's apparently said to bring bad luck and the other, good there's even a story about one dog saving someone that fell into the moat. My next stop's Dover Castle, though, but Leeds Castle is well worth a visit. I've been there many times as a kid. There's loads to see and do. You can even hire a Segway if you really want to. Beersted and Hollingbourne stations are both close by. All right, I'm feeling pretty spooked out, if I'm honest, so I think it's time to hop back on the train and head back out to the coast. This time, I'm going to Dover Castle. I just changed to Ashford and I'm going to be in Dover Priory in about half an hour. Ashford's just one stop from Pluckley and it can be a great addition to your trip, particularly if you're into your shopping. Ashford's designer outlet, which I've been to many, many times, has well over 100 stores to choose from. The area around here has its own share of unexplained stories though, particularly when it comes to wild animal sightings. In 2011, a couple spotted what they thought was a black leopard running across a field in Kingsnorth near Ashford. They were just out walking their dog at the time. Personally, I think I'll pass on that one. A similar creature was spotted in Canterbury in 2016, as well as in Maidstone and also Sevenoaks. These three sightings were all reported on social media within 90 minutes of one another. There were also reports of something slightly more far-fetched in Tunbridge Wells back in 2012. A man walking in the woods beside the town's common claimed to have spotted an eight-foot-tall beast with demonic red eyes and long arms. It was nicknamed the Beast of Tunbridge Wells. Sightings in the town go back decades, though. An elderly couple was said to have spotted a tall, ape-like creature on the common back in 1942. The beast has divided opinion, though, with some claiming it's just somebody in fancy dress. If you want to hear more about the town, check out Mary Beard's history episode, although don't expect to hear from any strange creatures in that one. Historical facts only, please. Well, we're just coming into Dover now, and the views are just stunning. We've got not only rolling countryside, but I can see the sea. And whenever I get close to the coast and I can see the sea, ever since a kid, I've genuinely got really excited. And that's exactly what I'm feeling right now. Looking around, we've got rolling hills. I've got what looks like some sort of observation tower, perhaps. There's so much history. And that's one of the things I like when you're looking out the window of a train, you just see so many different things, whether it's modern enterprise or buildings or technology, but also the history of the past as well is so important. And that's exactly what I'm seeing here. I'm now at Dover Priory Station, and Dover's another place that has no shortage of mysteries, it's fair to say. It's got its own answer to the Bermuda Triangle, in fact, known as the Channel Triangle. Mike Hannigan and Pat Cox, authors of the book The Legends of Kent, found that 84 ships have sunk within a triangular area off the Kent coast. And more inland, the legendary Leafman is said to reside near Dover in Aylsham's Spinney Woods. 
This urban myth started during the Second World War when V-1 rockets left bomb craters in the woods and parents understandably became worried for their kids who were playing in the woods, collecting bullets and shrapnel as keepsakes. Rumour soon spread that the scary leaf man was protecting the woods and stopping people entering. Now, some say parents actually invented the leaf man to scare the children and stop them going into the woods. I wish I thought of that one myself. But others have reported seeing him. And there are other unexpected stories from World War II in this area. And one of the best of these, and one I'm so excited to learn more about, is about Dover Castle's network of top secret tunnels. And the castle is my next stop. Just 25 minutes or so walk from Dover Priory Station, if you fancy it. If you don't, it's a short cab ride or bus journey. And I'm already at the castle. It towers over the channel. The surrounding white cliffs of Dover are a National Trust location. And the castle itself is an English heritage site and is grade one listed. It was built soon after 1066 and has been described as the key of England over the years due to its defensive position. There are said to be over three miles of secret tunnels underneath it, all snaking deep into the cliff. They dated back to the Napoleonic Wars, but were also used much more recently in World War II and even in the 60s as well. Many of these tunnels are still classed as undiscovered. We know so little about them. Yes, the entrances to them have been found, but going down is just too unsafe. So no one really knows how long they are or where they might go. I'm meeting Maxine Ford. She's one of Kent's Blue Badge guides who's going to tell me more. Maxine, you asked me to meet you at a particular place, just the yeah. other side of the road from Dover Castle. And now I'm here, I can see why, because it is stunning. Maxine, just talk me through the views we can see from where we're stood right now. Okay, well, it, it is probably the best view of Dover Castle you would get. And we are blessed this afternoon with the most gorgeous weather. You can get a full panoramic view of not just the castle, but also Dover the town. And it gives you an idea of why Dover Castle was built where it is. Tell me a little bit about the castle, Maxine, and, and the okay. history surrounding it, because I am so excited to know about these tunnels underneath yep. the castle. Yeah. Well, first of all, you've, you've mentioned about the view. Um, today, although it's a gorgeous day, we're not actually getting the view over to France. Now, this is actually the closest point over to the continent. And that gives you an idea why the castle was built here. So we go right the way back to, we think there was an Iron Age fort there, but it was the Romans and Julius Caesar who came here 55 BC, first came back in 54 BC. The Romans actually started the, the uh, defensive fortifications up there. You mentioned the tunnels. Well, there are medieval tunnels in the castle, but the tunnels that most people are interested in, that you can go, uh, you can see the medieval tunnels, but people are interested in are the five tunnels um, that, well, the first of the tunnels were built uh, during the uh, time of the threat of invasion by Napoleon. So as long ago as that, that these tunnels yeah. were built, and what do we know about those tunnels at the moment? Because there's information we do know, and there's probably a fair bit we don't. Yeah. There's actually, um, we think, around about three miles of tunnel in there. Some people say it's up to five miles of tunnels. Maxine, what about the stories that I'm sure you would have heard 
about perhaps the unexplained that went in there. Have there been any sightings or any strange noises that people just can't explain? Yeah, I mean, there's numerous ghost stories associated with Dover Castle, as you can imagine, just from its history. I suppose one of the famous ones that most people have heard is about the, the drummer boy who was uh, decapitated, running an errand he's supposed to run, screaming around the battlements. In fact, there's lots of stories from visitors, particularly visitors from overseas who have known nothing about the history, and yet they have commented on strange noises, um, doors slamming, hearing things thrown. If you think about what's gone on in there, it's hardly surprising that there's lots of stories. Love the unexplained as you well. The there's unexp- something for you as well. You know, it truly, it doesn't matter how many times I go down in those tunnels, it still does make you, I wouldn't say it, it's got an atmosphere down there. And particularly because one of the tunnels was also used as a dressing station during the Second World War. There's actually, they actually created uh, um, an operating theatre down there, particularly with the evacuation from Dunkirk Operation Dynamo. The troops were brought over here and they would be assessed and then moved to other hospitals. But if someone needed urgent treatment, they could do it down there. You know a lot, Maxine, about other areas of Kent worth exploring. Are there any other places that have a lot of unexplained elements that people might find interesting? This part of Kent, along the coast um, has always been known for smuggling and Dover is part of the uh, Sinkport Confederation which was the earliest form of the Royal Navy. Um, uh, King Henry VIII diverted the uh, Royal Navy from uh, this area and um, of course these people are involved uh, in basically uh, providing ships and transportation for the king they were experts at, at navigating the English Channel um, and literally their income went. So a lot of them went over to smuggling. So if anyone's never been to Dover Castle or Dover itself and they just want to come and visit, it, it's really easy to get here from pretty much anywhere, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've, obviously, you've got the railway station in the town and um, you can get from the railway station up to the castle very, very easily. Well, Maxine, thank you so much for talking to me and explaining the history about this stunning building. I've learned so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and mine, Rav, completely. It is a wonderful place to come and visit. That was absolutely fascinating. I've learned so much. And if you want to check out more unexpected stories from wartime Kent, do check out Gravesend Cold War Bunker in Woodlands Park. That's made up of 13 rooms and was designed to house an underground command post in the event of a nuclear attack. Today, it's actually been made to look how it did back in the 50s and even has the casing of a nuclear missile on display. That's a 15-minute walk from Gravesend Station and is definitely worth a visit. And that brings us to the end of my somewhat alternative visit to some of Kent's more mysterious parts. And for that matter, the end of this episode of Hop On Board. If you like what you've heard, spread the word. Give us a like and subscribe. And if you're eager to keep exploring, why not check out the rest of the series and discover more of what Kent and East Sussex has to offer just by jumping on a southeastern train. But for now, it's time for me to disembark. Thanks for listening.